0: Today, Jesus teaches us about a topic that will make us blush. He teaches us about a topic that will make you squirm in your seat in discomfort. This is a rated PG-13 sermon. I've let all the parents know, so don't worry about that. The sermon is about marriage, but specifically, it's about love, lust, and sex. And this is what marriage is meant to be. So let me just jump in. Here's our verses, Matthew 5. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I want to just start off, and I want to tell you a story that's, that is a little bit uncomfortable. It's, a, it's one of those stories that kind of makes you squirm. So before we started this church, before we even thought about church planting, Elise and I went to something called the Church Planting Assessment Center. This, is, this means they're trying to see if you're wired to start a church. And they just dig into your life. And they want to know everything about you, your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, your ministry. And they also want to know about your sex life. Meaning, they want to know, like, are you having anything going on outside of your marriage that you shouldn't have going on? And so they, they just are going to ask you all these questions. Now, we didn't know this was going to happen. Um, and we get these mentors. And there's about 12 people there. There's a single dude and about 12 couples and uh, we have our mentors, a guy and a girl. And so they didn't tell us about this. So it, what happened is they actually forgot to, to have the talk with us that they were supposed to have. So they pulled us aside after one of the sessions. And Elise went with her mentor. I was with mine. And, and, but here's what happened. It was right after one of the group sessions. And so we're in this hallway. And uh, he starts talking to me about this, but he has to whisper because of what we're talking about, and there's all these people around. So it's getting a little bit uncomfortable because of what we're talking about and how close he is to me. Um, but it, get, it gets starts getting worse. So, you know, we, we, we talk and then we're done, um, but then he proceeds to tell me something that is making me incredibly uncomfortable because all these people are around, and he starts telling me about his own sex life with his wife. And uh, he begins to tell me that while they are you know doing what husband and wife do in the bedroom that he tells me during this he he starts praying out loud and i'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now because he's very close to me and then he says and also i sing from the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a very erotic book in the Bible. And I, at this point, I am fighting to not turn beet red. And all these people are around. And he's whispering so close to me all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, David, stay focused. Do not like, don't think about what he's telling you. Just stay focused on something so you're not just picturing this. So it's just very <laughs> uncomfortable for me. And, um, and, and I realized something about how uncomfortable I felt. That he... It's not weird what he's doing, but it sounds very weird to us. And the reason it sounds weird is because we don't really get it. We don't really understand what sex is. I mean, we know what it is, but we don't know what it's really meant to be. And here's what I mean. Sex is something that's very spiritual, meaning God is involved. And just when I say that, I mean, it just makes you feel incredibly uncomfortable. And that's just proof that we just don't get it. Um, so here's what you got to understand that marriage is like a sacrament and it is meant to be a picture of God's relationship with humanity so he, here, here's what happened God makes us, we run from him and we're out of there we're running as far from God as we can and then he pursues us and he chases us down like that first song that we sang today and he makes us his own again but what he's doing is he's uniting us back to himself and this is, I mean, that essentially is the gospel message. And Ephesians 5 talks about how that very thing, that message, that's a picture of what marriage is supposed to be, that you, the two become flesh and are united together as one. So, what sex is, is acting out this union that you have this prom, these promises that you have made on your wedding day. This is, this is the acting out of those promises. This is the culmination. This is like the beautiful display of everything that you have promised to your spouse on your wedding day. And every time after that, it's like these are renewing the wedding vows. Now, at the wedding, at a wedding, the premise is that two completely different people show up to that wedding and become one. And do you know that the Bible says that when two people do what you know people do in the bedroom, that actually they are spiritually united as one. Spiritually, they are bound together. And so, so what this is saying is this is a very spiritual thing. And the promises that are made on the wedding day are being displayed beautifully, and all the rest throughout their marriage is a display of these promises. And God is very involved, because when two people become one flesh, the idea is that God is there making that happen when people make these promises on their wedding day. Now there you go, you feel so uncomfortable right now. And I know you do, and I know you're squirming, and because the idea of God being involved in your sex life is very like weird to you, I know that it is, and that shows you that we have a very poor understanding of what it actually is, and it just shows that we misunderstand it, and actually, most people have this belief that the Bible has, like, a very poor view of sex. The Bible thinks sex is gross, and actually, the Bible has an incredibly high view of sex, So high that the Bible is saying this is meant to be within this promised relationship that you have made with someone. Where you're able to be vulnerable with them because of all these promises that are made because you trust them. The the final act, the two people becoming one flesh. And it's, it's a thing where, okay, you trust this person. You can be vulnerable with them. Because they've made a promise to you that they're not going anywhere. It's like this long journey up into this point where these promises are made and you say, okay, now we're here to the end, me and you, forever. And now let's do what people do when they have made these promises. Now, that's why Jesus talks about adultery here. Because it's the breaking of the promise that was made on the wedding day. And today... That promise is actually broken before the wedding actually begins. So let me just explain. So the Old Testament culture, very different than our culture today, would say that sex belongs inside the covenant of marriage. And so here's what people back then understood that we don't really get today. Marriage is about a covenant. So in other words... Sex is spiritual because there's a covenant being made, a promise being made between two people and God. And what we do is instead of seeing it as a covenant, we see it as a consumer good. You say, no, no, we don't do that. Well, watch. Watch. So a, a, a consumer good says this, okay, I will buy this if, it, if, if I like it. So, so it's like this. We go to the store, and we, we look around, and we say, ah, I like this. But it's not even that we buy it first. We steal it from the store. We go home with it. We try it out, and then we go back to the store, and then we say, okay, I'll pay for this. Now, here, here's, what, here's what the order is. First today, first sex then live together, then get, then get married. Now, I just want you to say, I just want you to to see that that this is a societal system that has been built around us, and everybody is doing this. And what I'm saying is that the Bible's flipping this on its head. So here's what it here's what it says. Here, here's here's essentially what's going on. I want to try this out before I commit. And what begins to happen is, if, that, if that's the order, then you're becoming vulnerable with someone, you're becoming fully known by them, they are becoming fully known by you, and, and you're setting your heart up to be completely broken, because our greatest hope is to be known and loved, but our greatest fear is to be known and rejected. And you're making your heart vulnerable to be hurt, or if you need or you're turning your heart off to it and then here's what begins to happen then then sex becomes something that it's not meant to be because you have to turn your heart off to it you have to turn off to what it actually is meant to be and to do for you and your marriage because you've already been hurt by it and so then you miss out what it actually is okay so i know what i've just done here I've flipped our whole system. Like the whole way our society approaches marriage, I just flipped it on its head. And it's an uncomfortable conversation because that's, but that's what Jesus is doing. He's flipping it right on its head. And I know the statistics. I mean, I, mean I, I know how it typically does play out. Sex, live together, then get married. What I'm saying, well, let me say this. Let me just throw this like bomb There's statistics out there that support that actually the Bible has it right. Now, these are secular statistics, not by Christian people, not making this up, that actually, if you live together before you're married, you're less likely to stay together. Now, look, if you're living together right now and you're not married, you're like, oh man, are we doomed? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying statistically speaking, okay? Now, why is that? Because that doesn't make any sense based off of the way we think, right? First, you should live together to make sure like, everything's right. Make sure like, we work together. So, so l- let me just say this. That's too practical. So in other words, it takes the beauty out of it. It takes the romance out of it. It takes the risk out of it. And it's not the foundation of what love is. Now, look, if, if you're living together and you're not married and you're like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean? What is it? Just chill out for a second. OK, but so, so here's how you got to think about it. If we base our love off of what works practically. Then that's the foundation that we've built. And so we say, OK, well, let, let me try this out. Let me let me see how if. Okay, we tried this out. Sex is good. Okay, good. So, this is the first step. Now, it looks like maybe we will get married. And then you say, okay, let's live together. Now, okay, look, everything's working. Like, he's not driving me crazy the way he's brushing his teeth. She's not driving me crazy the way she brushes her teeth. Maybe a little bit chewing too loud, but, you know, it's, it's fine. So, so we're, we're beginning to try things out. Now, here's what's, here's what's probably happened, though. The environment is right, meaning everybody's life is going good at that time. Like, Nothing's difficult, nothing is hard. And, and so you're like, oh, this is working, like we're compa- combati- compatible, not compatible, compatible, thank you, and, or maybe compatible. So you say, okay, look, this is working, this is working, let's get married, let's do this, and then, but that's the foundation. So now the foundation is set, it's all about practicality, and now you get married, and then you start going through a difficult time. And look what's happened now. Everything was easy before. Now it's hard. And now all the things that made you say, okay, this is, this is going to work. This like, consumer mentality approaching marriage is going to work. Well, now it's not working anymore. Because it's not based off of commitment. And that's at the foundation of what the Bible is saying love is. So what begins to happen is things start getting difficult, and you say, man, this isn't working anymore. What have I done? Like, I thought I did everything right. I thought, I thought I was so practical about this, and guess what? You were so practical. You were, you were so practical that you had all of your checklists made, and this person just measured up just to be the right person for you, and then you got married, and life got hard, and that checklist got torn up because they couldn't meet anything anymore because life got hard and so what do you do well if your foundation is built on practicality you say well the most practical thing for us to do then is to just end it and so it ends so that's why the most practical thing to do is to not be practical because when you start with the foundation of love as commitment then here's what it says i'm with you to the end no matter what no matter how hard life gets Me and you, we're taking the hill and we are fighting together. We're fighting in this life and we're fighting in this world because it's gonna get hard and no one is going anywhere and you build your life on that foundation, your marriage on that foundation. That is the place where sex is meant to be experienced. Love is to say, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm yours and yours alone until death. No matter what. What does sex have to do with that? Everything. Because it's the culmination of actually believing someone is with you to the end. It's the final expression. Or this, sex is the heights of love, not the proof of love. It's not something to try out first and then say, ah, see, we should get married. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the height of it. And, and, and by the way, if you're married, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. If you're not married, you're like, oh, I don't know. And it always seems like before people get, get, like once people are married, they're ready to hear it. But before they're married, they're not ready to hear any of this. And that's just how it goes. So if you're married and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, can, I could do that. You probably didn't do it, so don't be bragging about it. So here, here's the thing. If you try everything out before making the final commitment, then you have entered into a marketing relationship. There's no other, I'm just gonna say it. You're entering into a marketing relationship because you're marketing yourself the best that you can to get the approval of that person. And by doing that, you are trying desperately to say, I'm worthy, just marry me, please marry me, please marry me, I'll try, try everything. I just wanna marry you. And that's just good marketing. And if someone is a good marketer, More people might want to marry that person, but good marketers don't make good lovers. And this is what's really crazy, is I haven't even actually gotten into our text yet. And the reason is because our societal system about marriage is completely different than the context that Jesus is speaking into. And, and here's what he does. So it feels like a stretch, like, oh my gosh, our whole societal system has just been flipped on its head. This is crazy. And then you walk in, and you know what he does? He takes that societal system and flips that societal system on its head. Meaning, like, there's two flippings now, and it's just, it, he's, he's, He's taking our view of marriage and sex and just elevating it to the heights of the kingdom of God and what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes on the earth. So, here's what he says He says, even if you lust after someone who isn't your spouse, you have just violated your covenant of marriage. Jesus has just done the same thing that he did last week with anger and murder. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that lust and adultery are the same exact thing. So lust is, the think of popcorn. So the kernel is there in the popcorn. You apply enough heat to it, it pops into popcorn. But it's the same thing. Well, that's, that's what he's saying. If, if, you have, if you have lust in your heart, if there's enough heat that is applied to that lust, it pops into adultery. Which means he's saying everybody is capable of this. And he's saying, if you don't think you're capable of this, then you have a problem. Now you're gonna ask your spouse, are you capable of this? they are gonna say, No, 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 I'm never capable of this. Listen, this is, why, this is why it's so important. He's trying to get you to guard your heart, to realize what you are capable of. It means every one of us need to guard our, our ourselves. So there's there's a story about this well-known pastor. And this well-known pastor had this flourishing ministry. He had this ministry that every other pastor wants, and then he committed adultery and it was all lost. And there's a seminary student, and he's like, Man, I can't believe this happened to this guy. So the seminary student says, I want to get an interview with him. I think he was writing a paper or something, so he wanted to interview this guy. So he interviews him, and he said, The seminary student said, What happened to you? Like, you had everything that everybody is chasing after as far as ministry goes. Like, you were successful, you had arrived. And he said, so what happened to you? And the pastor said, do you believe, to the student, do you believe in total depravity? It's a theological term. And the seminary student said, yeah. And the pastor said, well, I didn't. He said, I never thought I was capable of doing something like what I've just done. And so he, here's what, what happened then. He didn't put safeguards in his life, and he ends up doing something that shocks him because he didn't think he was capable of it. But what Jesus is saying is if you just have a little bit of lust in your heart, which everybody does, then you're capable of it. So you need to have safeguards in your life. And so Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now this is not meant to be taken literally. If next week you guys walk in without arms and eye patches over your eye, I have failed you. But I got to tell you, throughout history, there are people who have done this very thing. In fact, there was a great theologian who took this way too far and actually removed his male part in order to stop himself from doing the things he didn't want to do. And guess what? He says it didn't even help him. Here's what Jesus' point is. Cut off anything in your life that's going to put your marriage in jeopardy. Get rid of it, even if it holds the same importance as your hand or your eye. And then Jesus kind of continues on, and he just wants to make sure that we all know we need grace, which is, which is amazing because we really need to hear it at this point because all of us are feeling like sinners. And here's what, here's what Jesus does all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You know what he's doing? He's taking everybody, and he's like crushing us. And he's doing it in such a way that is so loving because he's trying to get you to realize something. You need grace. And so the law becomes this wonderful teacher because without the law, we don't realize we need grace. And so he gives us the law so we know we need to run to him for grace. I mean, he's, I mean it, says, it says something crazy. It says that cut it, cut it out or cut it off or else you're gonna be running into Hell, it says. The fire of hell. Now, this word for hell is Gehenna. And Gehenna was an actual place where, it was like a dump, where, where people would take their trash and their trash would be burned. And what Jesus is saying is, look, we're all running right there. Every single human being, a little bit of lust in your heart, you're running straight there. He says, so you need grace. We all need to go to God for grace. I mean, He wants to make this very, very clear. That if anyone in this room right now is feeling like a bit of pride about you know, their w- way of how much they have followed the Bible and the rules, he's like, oh yeah, you think so? And then he just throws this on you. You're guilty. All right. And then he talks about divorce. And here's what he's saying. Don't do it. Now, okay, Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. With a small caveat Jesus puts in, I'm going to get to that in a second. But let me just give you the context here because a lot of people ask me about divorce. So let me just give you the context. So before Moses writes anything, before the Bible becomes the Bible, what was going on is if a husband, because apparently only husbands could could issue a divorce. I don't know what's going on. It was a very different context. So if a husband wants a divorce, he just gets a divorce. No big deal. And then it would ruin the lives of these women because men did not want to marry a woman who had already been with another man. So her life would be ruined. So Moses says, no, look, 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 look. You got to issue a certificate of divorce. And so let me just read to you what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some indecency and then writes her a certificate of divorce. Okay, women, you must be so glad that you didn't live in this society because it sounds horrible. Um, but so so the experts here how they here's how they approach what I just read. They would say this is this means one of three things. Either it means if if a husband just like, finds something wrong with his wife, like, her cooking isn't good, or he doesn't like the way she cleans the house. I know that sounds bad, but during the time, that's just what happened, okay? So just listen, get the point. They would say, Oh, I want a divorce. That's one option. Second option is, if she was no longer beautiful in his eyes, he could divorce her. Or, it meant, if she commits adultery, he could divorce her. Now, it seems that Jesus is going with the third. Um, well, he is. But... Then Jesus goes on and he says, if you marry a divorced woman, then you're committing adultery, and, or if you divorce someone, then you're causing her to commit adultery. Okay, now this is getting hard to understand. So what I want to do right now, and I don't have tons of time to unpack all this, so what I want to do is just as quickly as possible run you through how the Bible approaches this. Okay, first Jesus says marriage is really important, so don't get a divorce. That's the primary thing to hear. But however... If someone breaks the promise that has been made on the wedding day and joins to someone else physically, then they have broken that promise. So, they are, so then you have grounds for divorce. Now, you know, we live in a very different culture. Most people have had sex before they got married anyways, so we've, everybody's already broken this thing anyways. Then... To make it even crazier, Jesus says, if you lust after someone, you are committing adultery. So that means everybody could get a divorce if they want to because everybody has lusted, so therefore everybody is subject to be able to get a divorce. Is that what Jesus wants? No. Also, I think if someone was trying to kill their spouse, Jesus would be like, oh yeah, you probably should get out of that one. (laughs) They've obviously violated the covenant promise that they have made. But then... When a divorce does happen, Jesus doesn't seem to advocate for getting remarried. However, there's a place in, uh, in one of the letters that Paul writes where he says, look, if you, are just, if you are passionate about someone, you should marry them because if you don't marry them, then you're going to be in sin. So go ahead and get married. So, so now it's saying, okay, you need to get married. If you've been divorced, you need to get remarried. If you have found someone that you are just, you, you love them and you are raging with passion for them, you should get married to them. Um, so it really begins to get hard to understand. Um, So what I want to do is just bring you to the heart of the matter of what all the scripture seems to be saying on this. First, honor your marriage promises to each other. But we live in a sinful world with sinful people and sin enters into marriages. And if you have found yourself divorced, First, I'm sorry because it's a very difficult thing to go through. Second, if you have found somebody that you are passionate for, seems to say you should marry them. There are people who would disagree with what I just said. That's what it clearly seems to be saying. The Bible seems to be saying to me. However, now stay with them. Don't leave them. Be with them forever. But, you know, this, this is the thing. This is what Jesus is saying, when God's kingdom comes on the earth, this is what it looks like. Marriages stay together. But here's what also happens. Our world has set a sickness into our mind and in our heart. Maybe one person is a Christian, maybe one person is not a Christian, and the person that's not a Christian says, I don't want to honor what Jesus says here. Maybe there's two Christians, and they are just pulled in this world, and it seems like they think it's the right thing to do, even though it, it's clear that it might not, it's not the right thing to do. But it happens. We all need grace, guys. Every single person needs grace. Just everyone chill out about it, okay? Because I know what you're doing and you're all worried inside about, I, I've pretty much just made everybody sink down in their seat and what I want you to hear right now is that God loves you and he is gracious to you and he's gonna continue to be gracious to you always. Just keep going to him for grace, okay? And here's the other thing. Here's the last bomb I'm going to drop on you. If your spouse has cheated on you and they're sorry and they want to fix what they've done, go to Christ for strength to forgive them, but also to stay with them. Go to Christ for strength to do that. If they're, if they're like, I am so sorry what I've done, I want to fix this. And here's why I say that because you have grounds for divorce, according to what we read. Now, Here's what I want you to realize. You have cheated on God. The way that the book of Jeremiah describes our relationship with God is that we have, it's vivid, we have spread our legs to false gods. And we have played the whore. And we've run after other gods. But God has not left you. In fact, he's been pursuing you ever since. And he's been chasing you down And he wants you to be his again. And he's running you down. And he's being gracious to you. And he's showing you a love that makes you want to go back to him. To unite yourself back to him as you were meant to. And so the great husband is Christ. And he chases down his adulterous bride. Forgiving us. And the culmination of this story is that the us, the adulterous bride, do you know what Christ, our great groom, does? He goes and dies for us as we've run from him. Jesus loves you so much, and what he's saying about marriage is that marriage is of the stuff of heaven. Marriage is of the covenantal stuff, the kind of love that God has for you. That's found in your marriage, so your marriage is incredibly important to God. He's saying this is what life is about. It's about love. The love that comes from heaven down to earth and it's in your marriage. And the greatest display of that love that you have for each other, that greatest display is the culmination of the love that God has for you where he gives his life for you on the cross. That's the kind of love that's meant to be in your marriage. And it means it means something else. If you're single and you're going to be single your whole life, His covenantal love for you is enough. His covenantal love for you is greater than any type of love that you can find in a marriage. It's the grandest of all loves. That means you have everything you need to be single your whole life. If that's what happens, you're okay. And it means his love is enough for your struggling marriage. And it means his love is enough for your relationship. And it means his love is enough, if you've lost a spouse, his love is enough to get you through it. And his love teaches you something else. He didn't try you out first. If he would have, we would have all failed the test. But he did something even crazier. He gave his life on the cross. He paid the ultimate cost. When you are at your worst, not because you passed the test but to make you his. And then in making you his, he gives you a love and that love changes you every day. That's the kind of love that's meant to be in your marriage. That's what we gotta fight for. All right, let me pray for us. God, I pray right now that everybody's just cool and not freaking out. And if they are, God, I pray that they would go to you in grace, knowing that you love them. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to love the way we have been called to. God, give us the courage to to not measure things on practicality, but help us take the risk that says, I'm all in to the end, me and you, till death do us part. And help us to be able to say that because you have first said that to us. And death did do you part from us, but you rose from the grave and you've come back. And you've promised that one day you're going to return and claim your bride as yours. And when you do, we will be welcomed into the house of God forever, where all things will be a grand love story. Help us to hold on to that truth, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.